Next Chapter Podcast. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new. Hundreds more to go and in need of a friend. The king of peace for Angelo. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. You're going to hear me talk about this song a lot on today's podcast because this might be, I mean, this is a bold statement, but this might be my favorite song that I have discovered since I've started doing this podcast. I've listened to it well over, even since I recorded the podcast, I probably listened to it at least another hundred times. Uh, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Is it perfect? It's Look Out, Joe. It's by Neil Young from his 1975 record, Tonight's the Night. It's also number 330 out of 500 on... What's that show called again? Oh, yeah. The 500 with Josh Adamayas. You watching the podcast? Are you... Are you on our YouTube? Are you doing the Patreon? Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. What do I have coming up? Uh, February 15th, I'll be doing the Goddamn Comedy Jam live from the Comedy Cellar. Uh, we will be streaming it on mintcomedy.com. Uh, Ronnie Chang, Judy Gold, uh, Ian Fidance, and Jackie Fabulous. It's going to be dope. And we have maybe have a special guest. Uh, and then February, either the February 20th or February 21st, we're doing a Goddamn Comedy Jam at the Comedy Store. The lineup is going to be dope. We're going to announce it soon. Um, and that weekend, I think it's February 24th. Yeah, February 24th, I'll be at the House of Comedy in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'll be doing six shows. I'll be there through Sunday. And then uh, March 9th, I'll be performing at the Aspen Comedy Festival in Aspen, Colorado. And I think I've got more. Do I? Do I? And then April fucking 9th, we're doing a jam in Connecticut. Uh, April 20th through the 24th, I'll be at Moon Tower. And then May, I'll be at the Netflix Festival. And then in June, there's stuff. And in July, there's stuff. And it just keeps going and going. I'm at the Comedy Cellar. I'm at the Stand in New York City. Check me out. All right. Neil Young, second record on the podcast, the godfather of grunge. That's what people say. I like to call it the Seattle sound, but so I wasn't new. I don't know what I was expecting with this record. I put it on on a drive to uh, my friend uh, Meth Syndicate's wedding, him and Eric. Well, Eric and Rebecca, that's he's him. Eric is him. Uh, they got married, and I listened to this record back in October, and and I mean it, like, sincerely. Like, I didn't get it right away, but, man, I did I get Lookout Joe. 
And uh, it, it really made me realize when you find out the facts about this record that it's pretty cool. And then also when you have a pretty cool guest. Our guest today, I mean, what a steal. From the X-Files, from Californication, from Zoolander, from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, from Evolution. I mean, the list goes on. From X-Files, David Duchovny. This is crazy. Uh, he's got a new book, June 7th, uh, now available for pre-order everywhere called The Reservoir. And he's got a new album called Gestureland uh, that's available now on all platforms. And we'll be playing it at the end, a little track from it, um, because it's in the it's in the, it's in in the the ethos of Neil Young. Rate review. Right, subscribe. Come on, subscribe to the 500. Leave us a five-star rating on Apple. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Go to my website, joshadammyers.com for all the tickets. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website that I don't like called the 500podcast.com. You ready? 3.30 out of 500. Tonight's the night by Neil Young. David Duchovny, let's go downtown. Let's do the podcast in downtown. David Duchovny, we're doing the podcast. Doing the podcast, doodly doo. Hey, scoodle doo. I can, I, there's so many songs that I was listening to on this record that I was like, I was like, which one am I going to sing David into? Uh, not Lookout Joe. I was thinking about Lookout Joe. I was, I was almost at Lookout Joe. Albuquerque, a little too slow. A little too slow. Um, you like a choice? I'm turning into like that Springsteen beat there. You were it, dude. You were there, dude. Uh, where are you recording from right now? Because it looks like you're at like the RCA uh, record executive or in the future somewhere. And I'm in. Uh, I'm in California. Oh God. Yeah, no snow, I saw. No snow out there. Now I've I, I lived there for 14 years and then I just moved out here because I wanted to torture myself to in yeah, New York yeah. City. That, that you don't create great work unless you're miserable. So so good luck. Thank that. you. <laughs> so miserable. Also, also listening to this record, uh, we'll get into it. I, I, first of all, before we get into that, so doing research on, well, one, let me start here. I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been a fan of yours Thank for you. years going all the way back to X-Files and I can name a million different projects, but right. uh, something that really, really has taken me aback because, you know, as I started reading about you is not only were you an accomplished actor, but you're accomplished musician and author, and you have that all going on in addition to your acting career. So, so my first question before I get into anything is, is did did you just start with one, or and and then it, did it just evolve from there, or did you kind of go into your career like I'm going to do everything? Well, I, I I would have identified myself as a as a writer uh, first and foremost uh, way back when. Uh, my dad was a writer. Um, his father was a journalist. Uh, my mother was a teacher. So it was it was in my area. It was in it was in kind of like my my family definition, my self definition, my aspirations. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> and, and acting was a complete like denial of all that stuff. You know, that was kind of like seen as a as a superficial kind of uh, attempt for me to uh, to not address whatever depth I might have. You know, I was going to like live this life where I wasn't going to address uh, what I had been brought up to address, really, and what I always thought that I would. Yeah. And so. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I never had like a 10 year plan or a 20 year plan or, or anything like that. I, I knew I'd always write. Uh, I didn't know what form it would take. I didn't know if it was going to be poetry or fiction or screenplays or TV uh, or lyrics or anything. I, I, I've always written. So then uh, when I had a little time off from my family and from 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 work, if I was doing like when I was doing Californication, which is only like three months out of the year, which was a great great gig that way i decided i was going to start you know see if i could write see if i could sustain like a novel length thing and then i did and then once i did that i was like oh i can do this i'm going to continue to do this with the music it was just weird because that was never something i thought that i'd do because i wasn't ever a singer unlike you with your pipes there uh, uh, i i was uh you know no, and I didn't play an instrument. So I just started playing, what, 10, 11 years ago. And then I started hearing songs, which was weird. You know, I never thought I'd hear songs. I, I didn't think I didn't think you could hear songs without a beautiful voice. No, dude. There's, you, know many, you know how many shit voices we've heard on this podcast that have made it to the <laughs> 500 greatest albums list? First of all, P.I.L., Johnny Rotten, one of the, the lead singer of, of fucking Sex Pistols, his voice is butt cheeks. Yeah. And he's made a huge career. So... I, I was, you know, there was some emotional kind of baggage around it because I, I'd been in church, you know, with the boys and, you know, the hymns and, you know, yeah. the people saying and people telling me not to actually sing about the Lord in that, in that particular, in my particular voice, you know, so like mouth, <laughs> mouth, mouth the lyrics. So I had a lot of like, uh, uh, real, like deep shame about it. So I wasn't just... It wasn't just like, yeah, no, I'm not a great singer. It was like, I'm not supposed to sing, you know? So that was a big fucking leap for me. Big leap. But you, but you, but you've just released your, your third album. So obviously you found a groove. Obviously you, you know what you're doing. You got, you got musicians that you're working with that you dig. Um, is there like a, is there like that a through line between where you're at in your life right now and that record? Is it kind of just, just, you know, you've gotten older. I mean, it's about age. I have, we listened to a few tracks before you got on. I really dig it. I mean, you know, where, where are you at with the music now? Uh, you know, there, there's no like through line. It's not like, it, there's never been like a concept or a concept album kind of a thing. Uh, I suppose it's where I'm at now. It, it, it's weird. I mean, as you, you write music, right? So you write, you write songs you know, it's weird the way it happens. You know, it's like uh, something happens, it comes through you and, and the song, you weren't intending to write that song that day, but it happened. And uh, I, I really feel like it's not an intentional kind of like, this is who I am and this is where I'm at. But <clears throat> if I look back on it, I might see, yeah, that's probably true. But But you know, like the great thing about songs is really, and you've heard this a million times. It's like, it, it, I'm the last person who who has any claim on those songs. It's like, that song is yours to make it your own. You yeah. Know? And it's so much bigger when that ha happens and so much smaller when I explain it. You know? you know, it's so funny that you said that because now I, this is this is a good way to, to enter into this record that we're about to talk about. Um, so this is our second Neil Young record on the podcast. Uh, we did Russ Never Sleeps, and now we're doing Tonight's the Night. Uh, is, Zuma, I do, is Zuma on there? Uh, Adam, can you double check that? I'm, I'm pretty sure he has a bunch of records. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is like we're just kidding. The he's one of the artists that you're gonna we're gonna see over and over. We've had we've had yeah. some artists where I'm like, like we just did our second Linda, Linda and Richard Thompson or Richard and Linda Thompson record, and I'm like, who the fuck are they? And now I dig them. Airfly soul, yeah. Very, but I had no idea about him. But when knowing that you're seeing multiple Neil Youngs pop up, you're like, oh, well, this makes sense because he's just been there in the ethos of music right. since since every artist that I've ever listened to has said one of their influential, uh, you know, people they look up to is Neil Young. And yeah. what you said, you couldn't have said perfectly about how somebody writes a song and it's it's theirs because obviously Neil is writing this record and we'll get more right. into it about friends and about death and and so on and so forth. But but this is like, you know, you put this on and then this becomes this uh, man. It's just like so many different songs hit me in so many different ways from this record. Um, so two questions. This is a two part question before we start digging really into it. Uh, first one is. um when did you first hear Neil Young? Because I'm not going to lie, David, like when, when my booker was like, David Duchovny's doing this record, first reaction was, fuck yeah. Second reaction was like, dude, holy shit, dude. Like this is, this is so cool to know that like Neil Young is a big part of your life, which I'm assuming the fact yeah. that you're here. He is not necessarily this album, however. Um, you know, for me, first, he'll not, first heard Neil Young, probably Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, probably... Probably Four Way Street, you know, that live album, which is probably on, on that list. Um, you know, Ohio, Neil Young, uh, Heart of Gold, Neil Young, um, Cinnamon Girl. I mean, all, all these songs that are very well known, whereas there aren't that there aren't too many songs on this album that are that are super well known. But 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 this is a quieter, a quieter, not quiet in terms of like sound, but just a quieter album, I think. Um, and Neil Young was always like, he, he was always a very, uh, he was a very mysterious figure, uh, to me as a kid in rock and roll, because you didn't know much about him. You know, there wasn't a lot about Neil Young, the person, and, you know, you're talking about listening to a song and I'm assuming, you know, there's a lot of, uh, autobiography that's attached to these songs. And I have to tell you, while I'm happy to talk about it, I don't know anything about it. And I don't like to know anything about it. I, I, I don't like to know what uh, a writer thinks the song is about. That's my job, you know, like as a listener. To decipher, yeah. What, what I just said. Yeah. It may be, you know, I mean, there's like fucking heartbreaking autobiographical information that you can find about songs, like what, like say Tears in Heaven, Eric Clapton, you know, I mean, and, and once you hear that, it's impossible. You can't hear that song any other way. You know, that yeah. song, as powerful as it, as it is and was, you, it's obscene to detach it from that. And that's, that's the way I feel about autobiography and, and music. It's like, it's almost obscene to use that. It's almost cheating to use intellectual or factual tidbits about music, which is anti-intellectual, anti-factual, spiritual music. It's not, yeah. it's not sense. Backstory, don't give a fuck, don't care. Um, doesn't make it better for me, makes it worse. Really? Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because we got some facts about this, this album. Um, well, first of all, I've got to ask this. So when did you, cause I know you you talked about the hits that you, that you mentioned by Neil Young. 
do you remember maybe when this album made its way into your life? No, because this album came out in 76, I think. Right? Is yeah, that right? 76. Mm -hmm. So I was in high school. And at 76, I, I was kind of in, yeah, my phase at that point, I was in a very kind of schizophrenic, four-part musical phase of, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Long extended uh, keyboard solos and <laughs> long distance roundabout. I fucking love that song. <laughs> it's the opposite of tonight's tonight. Yeah, dude. <laughs> uh, Springsteen. Yeah, okay, Springsteen. which I assume everybody's digging in. If you're a high school kid, high school male, the Let dreams of getting in a car and driving with a girl to like I'm you know. From, I'm from Manhattan. <clears throat> I didn't even have access to a car, but but <laughs> but, I, but I dug it. Yeah. Southern rock, like Allman Brothers, through my yeah. brother, and then like funk, uh, Motown, uh, Al Green, uh, Sly and the Family Stone. Nice. So I'm all over the place, um, but I'm actually moving away from my roots, which would have been like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, British Invasion. You know, the stuff that Tonight's the Night is kind of deconstructing in a way. You yeah, know, it's it's kind of taking the 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 beautiful melodic and 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 the harmonies of Crosby's Nash and Young and the and the pristine production, even a live album like Four Way Street, pristine production of something like that. Yeah, you know, to basically try to make it sound like they're making the songs up on the spot. Yeah, yeah. What kind of what kind of teenager were you? Were you already you because you you said you came from an influential family. Your dad's writing. I mean, are you? Oh, not influential. You, not uh, influential. They, they were like <laughs> my dad was a. My dad published his first novel when he was 75 and then died at 76. So he, he made it. He was a writer. But <laughs> nice, nice. He said he was a writer and he was a writer. And he, and finally, at the age of 75, he, he was a published. I mean, author. dude, I've, I've been saying I was a filmmaker since I was like 19 years old going to raves. And I mean, I made one student film, but yeah, yeah, I did it. And I'm still going <laughs> to do it. But it's still you just got to get some other shit done first. Yes. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast a songwriting podcast where every week i'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing recording and release of one iconic song from their career in our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.
So, so you you ran through the full gamut of of different like styles of music you were listening to. Um, I mean, what was that? Was that something that just because of growing up in a place like New York, do you think New York influenced kind of all those styles? And I mean, you know, because you, you grew up, what part of Manhattan did you grow up in? I grew up on 11th Street and Second Avenue. Oh, right, dude. I'm like, I'm on 22nd and First. We're close. Right. We're, we're right, right next, next to you. My best friend lives in the Petersfield on 22nd, 21st and 2nd, you know, right off, off the park. Oh, yeah. He's he's the gray-haired dude looking down from the penthouse uh, uh, patio. Like, Wait, which one? Which one? There's like eight of those guys. <laughs> Morty? <laughs> Is it Morty? <laughs> no, but I but even it's it's crazy. Like you know, because oh, Paul and Peter Cooper. I used yeah, to play but, Cooper all the time. I was in the the Stives and Town Peter Cooper Little League, which was the only baseball little league that was available to uh, New Yorkers at that time. Um, so I spent, yeah, my entire uh, childhood was spent in that kind of 10 block radius between 21st, that park, the Peter Cooper basketball park on, on first Avenue. Yeah. And then, and then, um, you know, I went to, I went uh, on, on 11th street. I started on 18th street. That's how I got into that neighborhood. And then we moved to 11th street. And, and maybe, maybe uh, I, I bet you experienced the same thing. I mean, back in the seventies, you didn't have, I mean, did you have Walkman back then? You couldn't take oh, music uh, with you. Uh, okay. Because, because uh, I know, because for me, for me, it's like music hits a lot different in New York city on your headphones, walking around like this album in particular, listening to Lookout Joe, walking around New York city. It was like the song was written for that exact experience I was going through. And like, I, I've said to Adam a million times and a bunch of guests, it's just that since I've moved to New York, my jazz consumption has jumped up 500% because it just fits with the city. Yeah. Um, so do you, so I was going to say is like, did you think New York influenced a lot of the music that you grew up listening to? Um, yeah, I imagine, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm old enough so that the, the music that I heard on the street was music from a transistor radio or a, later on a boombox or from passing cars. There wasn't a lot of like ambient music. There was nothing in your head. And I'm actually split how I feel about, you know, headphones and, 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 you know, like walking around in your own soundtrack and all that shit. It's, it's, it's a, it's it's a particularly uh, you know modern kind of phenomenon I think and um, I think there was a lot of music on the streets back then you just heard a lot of music uh, my neighborhood was uh, it was like Ukrainian Puerto Rican I heard a lot of Latin music on the street there was a lot of, a lot of drumming um, on the weekends you know a lot of a lot of Caribbean kind of sounds coming at me so uh, and then there was St Mark's place there were great record stores. Uh, you know, bootlegs. Uh, you could find stuff that wasn't totally mainstream. You know, I yeah. think that's one of the things about New York that can happen is, I mean, obviously now, you know, everything is at your fingertips. But back then, if you grew up in New York, you probably had access to more music than you did if you were growing up. You know, you hear these stories about, you know, the Stones, like waiting for three months to get the new, you know, Rhythm and Blues album from from the States. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I probably had access to all that stuff. There was a record store called Free Being that I would, would go to, um, which is such me, a great. Let me ask you this. What, what, were you, what were you listening to while you were making X-Files? Do you remember? 
what kind of genre maybe i mean do you feel like your genres kind of like change as you're working on different projects i think there was a time when i when i was more current in music like like i tried to stay i didn't try to stay but that i was open to kind of listening to new music uh, yeah. more generally and i think that probably ended you know in the late 90s so i was probably listening to new music at that point so i was i was listening to uh nirvana i was listening to pearl jam which to me is very Neil Youngish, you know, goes back to like a, oh, yeah. like a seventies kind of, you know, obviously like they call it grunge, whatever. And Neil Young, father of that sound or whatever. hundred um, percent. I was listening to Sarah McLaughlin, you know, just like very nineties kind of production stuff. Uh, and then, then I kind of just got, probably got overwhelmed. Like I couldn't even listen to new music anymore. And I had, I had music that I grew up with that I still love. So I kind of like contracted in some weird way. And I've been yeah. contracted for the last 20 years, I think. I, I looked at the lineup for Coachella this year and I was like, I know three bands. Right. Right. <laughs> three of them. Right. Um, well, what about California Cation? Because I could I could see Neil Young fitting its way into your character, into you yeah. know, especially especially like, I mean, you know it. It's like having lived in LA 14 years and now living in New York it's it's like the the california sound that california folk like eagles and joni mitchell and all that it is so california so laid back and it's just you know and i know neil young wouldn't well adam would we could we consider neil young in a sense that california folk i mean crosby stills and nash i think kind of fits into there or am i just talking out of my ass no i think that's pretty accurate i mean he's i mean obviously he's canadian but he does kind of have that mellow California vibe going too, you know. This this is that Ontario sound. That's that that I dig. Yeah, just super nice. Even though he's talking about his, his two dead friends, it's like he's really being nice about it. Like talking about heroin use. The big birds flying across the sky and helpless. It's pretty safe to assume those aren't pelicans. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I think that that. Uh, yeah, Neil Young, I think, you know, and, and re-listening to this album, you know, he's early on, he's not ashamed of his country roots, you know, like, like growing up, like, it, it's weird, the guy that I mentioned to you on his, on his patio up there on 21st Street, he's a huge country music guy, and we grew up together, and I didn't know any of that, like, I didn't know, he, he was like a closet country guy, and, oh, wow. like, I would have said, like, when I was in high school, like I would have scoffed at you if you liked disco or country, you know, like those were the two areas where like lame, just lame. Yeah. And it's not true because all music is legit and it all influences each other. And like, I love some disco now and I love some country now. So Neil Young ahead of the curve there, like he's, he's definitely showing his country bona fides. So. Oh my God. I, it's, I respect that, you know, and that's before it was hip to do so, you know, it was before it was hip to do so. The Stones might have done a little of it. Uh, you got the silver, uh, you know, country honk, you know, honky tonk women, you know, they're kind of winking that they've heard some country music, you know, and yeah. they know that. but Neil Young is putting it out there, you know, right out front. Some of the best songs, I mean, like, like Borrowed Tune is beautiful. You know, well, I beautiful. think, you know, David, I think that, I think even like this, there's country has influenced 
so much and not not i mean listen i'm not gonna say the shit that we're listening to now because i don't think country is being put out now is is true country i'm talking about the outlaw country i'm talking about you go all the way back to the original hank williams even loretta lynn i hear elements of that in all the artists you've just mentioned i've heard and i hear a lot of those elements in this album we're talking about today which you know i wouldn't call it country but there are country elements it's 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 something that that definitely sticks out and i mean like you said, it's like he grew, he was born in Toronto, but this guy has like a full on, you know, he, he's he's not afraid of that farm life. And I think that's kind of why this record is so, you know, important because it's a merging of, of his life, what's going on currently in music and in the world, and then in the story of his life as well. So um, here's I think, what I'll, go ahead. Yeah, I, I so, think that, that when, when people dismiss like genres or they dismiss uh, certain artists as, as not being authentic. You know, I yeah. think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's a hollow argument because all music is like a pastiche, you know, at this point, like we're, it's all world music, you know, we're, we're, we're all like grabbing bits from all these different traditions and countries and, and, and making it into a world music. So, um, you know, it's, it's so hard to separate out what's authentic, you know, it, it's, it's like, it's a, I think it's a fruitless argument. You know, I think you, you, when you feel something's authentic, it is, it doesn't matter that Neil Young grew up in Ontario and plays, you know, a country lick, you know, and mm-hmm. somehow, sometimes outsiders have the best insight of all, you know, totally. Totally. So, so when I said, when I asked you if you, when you knew about this record, you honestly know nothing besides just the songs that we've listened to and what you experienced from listening to them. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm going to drop a little knowledge on you because this okay, might, I, I, I took some notes lay, lay, lay it on me. What do you all right. So I, all right. So I'm so much body like you, I did one pass at this record while on a drive from New York city to my friend's wedding in Salem. It was a four hour ride. So I listened to about eight different records uh, that are on this list. And when I got to this one, this one stuck out. I knew immediately, I knew immediately there was a dark vibe to this record under such pleasant songs. And so Adam, Adam, the guy above us, who's uh, who looks like he's in the comic book store in New Jersey. Adam is my uh, my what would you call it? My my uh, encyclopedia of information. Yeah, I'd say researcher. My researcher, my my best friend, even though I've never met him. He's your he's your flesh Google. He, he, if not, we if not, we would be doing we'd be just talking solely about. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> X Files and Californication. He's put the information in front of me that has made me be like, okay, I have an idea what I'm talking about. Right. So he found this out, and I actually did a little bit of research too. So, so we all know the history of Neil Young, Canada. He, this guy is one of the only people that has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. One as a solo re- artist, and one uh, in '97 as a member of Buffalo Springfield. This record. Yeah. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Adam, let me check. I believe they are. Did you fuck this up? Also, he's in three times. He's a thrizzle. Also, (laughs) we got we got some information too for you, David. So these are the three other records that are coming up on the 500 Greatest Albums list uh, from Neil Young. 
Everybody knows this is nowhere. That's coming in at number 210. Harvest is coming in at number 82. And after the gold rush at number 74. Not Zuma. I love Zuma. Not Zuma. Not Cortez, Zuma. Cortez the Killer is one of my favorite songs of all time. And actually Albuquerque, the opening of Albuquerque on this album sounds a little like Cortez. Dude, I love Cortez the Killer. I have, I have friends from the Washington DC area, which is where I grew up. Uh, and they had this record label called Gypsy Eyes Record. It was very, very based Neil Young and like that kind of like, you know, the country uh, California sound. And uh, they had a record, this this band called Canyon, uh, specifically Brandon Butler. And he covered that. And that was my first introduction into, into that. And it's, it was so funny about Neil Young and me is that I actually love this kind of music. I find myself drawn to it more than most kinds. I mean, I love grunge. I love electronic, you know, like what Radiohead's doing. I love jazz, but this is something as I've gotten older that I've really just fallen in love with. And then, like I said, I'm on that ride coming back from the wedding. I put this on immediately I was drawn to it and I knew there was a lot going on in this record. So this is what Adam pulled up as a little like spiel about it. So first of all, the album was written in August and September of 1973. Uh, is this true? Mostly in one day. What it says. Mostly in one day. Holy shit. It feels like that. It feels like that. I mean, not in a bad way. It just feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a, there's a cohesiveness to this. Uh, but the release was delayed almost two years until June 1975. The album is, and this is the heavy part, the album is a direct expression of grief over the loss of Crazy Horse gu guitarist Danny Witten and Young's friend and roadie Bruce Berry. Both died of drug overdoses in the months before the songs were written. It was the work of a man trying to turn his torment into art and doing it so unflinchingly. Yeah. So you can see, I mean, you can see why. I mean, there's there's so much darkness on this record. Uh, I think he even name checks one of the guys in the first song, In Tonight's the Night. Um, so yeah, so the album was released. Well, why was it rejected? Oh, it was rejected due to the album's dark tone and rawness. So Young had to put pressure on his record label, Reprise Records, for two years uh, to make sure this album will come out. And one of the reasons Neil struggled so much with Danny's death is he felt partially responsible. Young said we were rehearsing with him and he just couldn't cut it. He couldn't remember anything. He was too out of it, too far gone. I had to tell him to go back to LA. It's not happening, man. You're not together enough. He just said, I've got nowhere else to go, man. How am I gonna tell my friends? And he split. That night, the coroner called me from LA and told me he'd OD'd. That blew my mind. I love Danny. I felt responsible. And from there, I had to go right out of this, right out on this huge tour of huge arenas. And he was very nervous, insecure. Wow. Um, included with the early original vinyl release of Tonight's the Night. Yeah, I found this uh, in the research too, Adam. Uh, so included on the early vinyl release of Tonight's the Night is a cryptic message written by Young. I'm sorry, you don't know these people. This means nothing to you. And he's never explained what that meant. Am I right, Adam? Yeah, he that's as far into it as he goes. Yeah. Um, well, I was about to, I was about to tear up just reading that because, you know, I, I've lost, I lost a friend. I was lucky enough to tell him how much I loved him and in a car accident, um, like right before he died, like literally. So to have that kind of guilt on you, 
from losing somebody that you care about that you're you're trying to help you're like dude you're 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 fucking up you you can barely play the notes like you can't be a part of this and and then to have the guy overdose that night i mean the weight of that i mean how responsible do you think neil probably feels it, it's i mean so this is a far heavier record than what these songs uh music sound wise i think just ate am i right wrong thoughts well, I would say that music doesn't have a sound that corresponds to to grief or joy or anything. You know, music is music in the context and the, the tone is, is and, and the lyrics in this case are going to kind of lead you in the direction of it, you know. Yeah. So um, like like famously, like yesterday originally was scrambled eggs before McCartney had the lyrics. So but it, it, if it still had scrambled eggs, you'd have a different feeling. It wouldn't be the mournful song. That it sure. No, hundred uh, so, percent. Uh, I think that, um, I mean, I'm, that's all, that's all, you know, obviously uh, tragic stuff and, and, and I'm sure uh, very powerful uh, for everyone involved, but, but it's like, um, you know, what I'm struck by is you, you, you began by saying, uh, you know, you put this album on, you didn't know anything about it. And you Nothing. felt, you felt like maybe the, maybe the music, it, maybe it's not super dark, but you felt a uh, heaviness to it and you felt uh, an authenticity to it. You felt a connection to it. And I would say, you know, again, you know, you know where I'm coming from with autobiographical stuff. So I would say beyond what you know, what you just said, what I know now about that stuff, it's his genius as an artist to be able to convey that without you knowing any of that stuff. And even without without even addressing it head on, you know, lyrically, um, that, that he's working through something, the authenticity of his um, honesty and of his uh, his grief or whatever his emotions were at the time are coming through in uh, unworded in the music without addressing it without yeah. saying the song about you know a friend that killed himself you know it's it's powerful regardless of that and and I think that's what a real artist does is is it's not about like uh, name checking your grief it's about processing it. And what this artist has to process is music. And that's what you're hearing. And I think that's why it moves you. And that's why it's on this list. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapists, 
clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Can I ask you a question? And, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but have you, was there ever been like a project that you were working on that almost you were dealing with something heavy in your life and you put that into the project kind of like what Neil did for this? That's all you do. <laughs> if, if you're not doing that, you're full of shit. And that's why you get most of what we get. Yeah. But did you ever have a project that it was like, thank God for that project to get you out of your head so you could actually, instead of oh. just like, all of them fuck yeah man um specifically i mean there might have been you know more dramatic things on the surface that had happened uh, my dad died while i was prepping to direct my f- first movie that i'd written uh uh you know i i i imagine i mean it was beyond the time when i'd written it you know i, I was prepping it it was written uh, so that what it wasn't in it like that but yeah i can't imagine I can't imagine that it didn't get in, you know, that's all you have. That's all you have. I mean, the, the goddamn comedy jam was my friend. I talk about on the podcast all the time. My friend, Angelo Bauer is one of the most brilliant comics in the world. He's the person that told me to combine comedy and music. And I did that. And then when I started, but it didn't heal me. It just kind of pushed everything down. And then when I went through my existential breakthrough where I started going to therapy and gurus and doing very, doing all the stuff people in LA are made fun of crystals and meditation. When I started doing that, uh, that was when I came up with this idea. And this is, I mean, cause he was the one that made fun of me for not knowing all of these great records. Cause he knew music so well. So this podcast, it's like, even though, it's like, there's moments in when, I mean, Adam, you hear me complain about it all the time where I'm like, I'm going to quit. It's like, it's just too much. I'm just so bored and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, no, I have to finish this just for him more than anything, not even to hear these songs or to make money off of it. It's just, it's something that I know how happy I'll feel and how much, you know, every episode talking to you right now is helping me still in some way deal with life. And, and that's all we're trying to do is just deal with, you know, these ups and downs that we face. And I mean, what I think Neil did to bring it back to this, to deal with something so heavy are make these, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 11 beautiful songs, 12. Maybe it's remastered tonight's the night. Yeah, maybe it's 11. Yeah, 11, we'll throw the the bonus track on there. I'll throw the bonus track on there. Um, All right, so some other facts about this record before we dip into some of the songs. This album peaked at number 25 on the Billboard 200 in the United States and number 12 in Neil's home of Canada. Come on, come on, Canada. (laughs) Bump that up, dude. This is your your gold son. Uh, I worked in Canada. uh, The first five years of X-Files were shot up there and they have Canadian content on their radios up there. And, And again, this was before, not before CDs, but before... You know, you had at your fingertips the entire catalog of music. Um, and so I, I, I don't know what percentage of it is, but it's like every every third or fourth song. Is Neil Young. Be, and <laughs> all Neil Young. And it's like, it's Neil Young. Uh, Bare Bach, Naked Ladies. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Yeah. Bare Naked Ladies. Joni Tragically Mitchell, Hip. <laughs> Blue Rodeo. I think now, Alanis. They got to put Alanis in there. I think she's Canadian, right? Is Alanis Rock. Canadian? She, last yeah. got you, and by the way, you, you shot in Vancouver, right? Yeah. 
I, I was just up there doing uh, doing shows and for New Year's Eve. And I, I, God, man, it's like you feel like such a baller with the exchange rate. You know what I mean? Like I took out these like five fans and I was like, I'll cover the check. They're like, really? I was like, guys, this is like it's like 30 bucks. I was like, I got this, dude. I got that kind of money, bro. Um, yeah. Do you feel like the, so? Before we get into it now, did you feel like Canada being in Canada so many years, like, like it, it's it kind of like helped you grow as a human being? I mean, it's a different vibe up there, man. Like I always say, Dave, and I say this on stage, it's like, man, I wish I was just like learning how to hit on girls in Canada because you could go up to a girl and be like, "We can go out with me," and she'd be like, "Oh no, like I have a boyfriend." But you're a really good looking dude, though. You're really handsome. And I'm like, "All right, well, she, didn't, she turned me down, but I feel good." Like, do you feel like the niceness of Canada has influenced you and throughout life? Uh, I think Vancouver's a, a really a West Coast town. You know? Yeah. In that sense, you know, I feel it's like a, a, a brother or sister to Seattle and and to even LA, even San Francisco. Sure. Uh, so that I, I like that vibe. You know, for yeah. me, for me, it's it's very left, very liberal. Canada's pretty left, uh, no, pretty liberal. So I'm all I'm all into that. And I thought it was such a beautiful looking city. You know, just. Uh, you know, I grew up in New York, you know, so whatever New York is, it's not beautiful to look at. Right. So you had 100%. the mountain and you had, you know, you just had just a beautiful ecosystem that you were in. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's to, to me, it's inseparable from kind of uh, starting the X-Files, like nobody watching up here in Canada, making a show on a little fucking stupid startup called Fox, you know. And then all of a sudden, like becoming like a global thing. So, you know, the city to me and the time all, all kind of part. Of the One, what, because you just said something that, that I found very interesting because like Fox was a startup. Uh, you had no idea they were putting shows up. I mean, they had married with children. They had the Simpsons. Like when was the moment that you knew that X-Files was like, I mean, blowing up? Like when did you have like a, like a God shot like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't recall a moment, but but I, I knew I knew it was happening. But it, and again, it was nice to be up in Vancouver for that happening because it felt a little bit removed, you know. Sure. I was just doing my work, you know, and it was a lot of work. So and I was teaching myself how to how to work. You know, it was like my first long running gig. And I really needed to to learn my pace and to learn my process and to teach myself. So it was really good to not, you know get caught yeah. up and Laker tickets in the middle of that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to come home to that though. <laughs> You're like, Hey, ain't no one. yeah, I'll take an extra meatball on my spaghettis and meatballs. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so it was, uh, that was all good, uh, to be up there, uh, for that. And, um, yeah, I, I think maybe like, I don't know what year it was, but we, we played after, you know, they aired the show after the Super Bowl. you know, so we got like that kind of a bump. And it was just like crazy, crazy numbers that you don't get anymore. Like a number, a number for a hit show now, it's like it, it wouldn't stay on the air, you know, back then. So, you know, it was it was, it was a more limited, uh, you know, there was more of a consensus in the culture, you know, that lasted a longer time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it was gradual because it was Fox. It was definitely there was ABC, NBC, CBS. Fox was way down there. 
so it was kind of a slow a slow burn that way nice dude dude love the show but we gotta talk about we gotta talk about new young we got i'm I'm leaving out new young um (laughs) i I found this quote uh that's pretty dope uh why adam found it um everything we were talking about uh with the record and the vibe of the record uh cameron crow uh was uh, did he say this oh young said to cameron crow in an interview if you're going to put on a record at 11 in the morning don't put on tonight's the night (laughs) by neil young put on the doobie brothers and like we said through all this stuff that we kind of just went through Oh, and I guess I should talk about the recording session process for this. Uh, during the recording sessions for tonight's the night at the studio instrument rentals in Hollywood, the musicians would show up in the evening, shoot pool and drink tequila until midnight and then start recording. The songs were recorded live in the practice space with no overdubs and minimal editing. This album is one of the most sonically raw albums ever released by a major artist. And it sounds like that. It definitely sounds like guys playing together. You can hear it even in the moments where Neil Young gives shout outs to certain members to start playing the solo, which there's so many solos on this record that just blew me away. But let's let's talk about a few of the tracks. We got to do the opening track, Tonight's the Night. Uh, this song is unusually detailed for a requiem and takes a series of candid snapshots from Bruce Berry's life. He was Young's roadie while in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And it describes how he drove the van, slept late and clowned around with Young's guitar after gigs. Young on this track and album, Tonight's the Night is like an OD letter. The whole thing is about life, dope and death. When we played that music, we were all thinking of Danny Witten and Bruce Berry, two close friends of our unit lost to junk overdoses. We played Bruce and Danny on their way all through the night. All of these things happened to people. So I figured it happened to me. So I'll write about this and I'll just write from my heart. And if other people have this happen to them, they'll relate to this. I've lost a bunch of people to drug use over the years. You probably have to being in Hollywood and being in the business. I mean, it's very, very heavy. Uh, And so to to dedicate an album to that, and it's like, it's this is the thing is that you wouldn't realize that this song, Tonight's the Night, is about heroin overdose. It's it's upbeat. It's peppy. It's, you know, it's like you get to something like speaking out. Would you have anything you want to say, David, about Tonight's the Night? You want to add? Well, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And what Neil says about it makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, it's, you know, even, even just that phrase, tonight's the night, it, it, it's, it's like a gung-ho phrase, you know, yeah. but it's, in this case, it's about you're, you're, you're dying tonight. Tonight is yeah. the night. Okay. Yeah. You know, just to, you know, because I think of a dumb Rod Stewart song, right? <laughs> tonight's the night, you know, which is a, it's, could be about date rape for all I know. <laughs> yeah, it could um, be, could be. Yeah. It's Rod Stewart. <laughs> so I, I don't think he wrote it, but um, I think, um, yeah. I mean, I like I like that quote that you, that you read because it's like he's not consciously processing his grief. It's it's too soon, right? It just happened, right? So, yeah. And he's not, he's not methodical. Like, he's not like, I'm going to go through the fucking six stages. Here's track number one, denial. Mm-hmm. Here's track number two, 
anger. You're struggling. You know, it's like, fuck that. It's like, I'm going to plug in my guitar and see what comes out. Trusting the state I'm in, the state I'm in, you know? And that's, yeah. and I feel like that's what you're responding to when you listen to it without knowing all that stuff. So totally. I feel like it's really a testament to his own trust of himself and his, uh, you know, trust of his art, you know, to, now this is a confident artist. This is this is yeah. somebody that 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 knows. I mean, at this point, this is his sixth record. He's already had some hits. You know, the guy is very very comfortable in his space. So to take a song and talk about two of your best friends' deaths and and to make it into such you know uh, uh, a beautiful sonically sounding song. I mean, it's 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 pretty impressive. I mean, most people would go. This whole record would be dark would just be like, you know, something in the way by Nirvana, just very, very like slow. And I mean, this isn't, I mean, the next song after that speaking out is perfect blues. Um, God with the soul. I mean, the, the solos are just incredible on this record. Those arpeggiated, like, oh my God, just melts your heart. That's, that's just perfect. That's, I'm, that's, a little, I'm hearing a little Jeff Beck in that Mills Lock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, it, it's just the, 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 the musicians that he put on this record, I know we have the list of them. Adam, can you pull them up for me in the chat? I mean, just incredible. All right, World on the String. Um, this one grew on me. Let's get, let's get to... Let's get to come. What should we do? Ah, fuck that. Let's do. I, well, I said "Borrow Tune" is one of the most beautiful songs on the record. Let's get Borrow to come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any? If, by the way, if you want to add anything to some of these tracks that we're talking about, like feel free to stop me and and uh, and to jump in. Um. So come I on, in, I was I was listening to the lyrics of "Borrow Tune," and it's very it's a very funny kind of a scenario that he's talking about because he's he's talking about being too lazy to write his own song. So he's stealing a stone song. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what song, I wonder what song he's talking about. Lady yeah. Jane, Lady uh, Jane by the Rolling Stones. He openly admits to it uh, that he used the melody on this track. This is Neil. Now play the Lady Jane. When I see you again, your servant. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that's the same fucking song, dude. I mean, yeah, dude, on the nose. <laughs> All right, um, you know. You wrote it in. It's a different you, song. You wrote it in one night. I mean, sometimes you're gonna you're gonna hear something and be like, "Fuck it, that's Lady Jane." I love it. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as somebody who writes songs, that sometimes or writes songs with other people, sometimes 
I'm, I'm usually the one that says, I've heard that before. Hold on a second. Let's check that. And then we'll spend like a time just like Googling, like, what is it? What is it? And then we'll find, I was like, ah, fuck. Yeah, no, we went that <laughs> off. We did. I mean, it's just, there's so much music that's been made. Every song, in a sense, sounds like something that's been made before. So, you know, but he's flat out taking it. (laughs) There's only so many chords, man. You know, 100%. All right. I want to talk about Come On Baby, Let's Go Downtown because heroin scoring has never sounded so fun (laughs) in my life. So, on this track, I'm waiting for my man. I mean, this song is this song is so perfect. Uh, you got Danny Witten uh, singing uh, one of his own creations. Neil backs him up. This was recorded live in 1970 at the Fillmore East in San Francisco. And like I said, it's about scoring smack. Contrary to much popular mythology, Young was never a fan of heroin and in fact knew well enough to stay away from it even before the drug-related deaths of his friends. There's at least one firsthand account of Young literally jumping out of a stationary car and fleeing the scene when he realized one of his bandmates was buying heroin. Um, so come on, baby, let's go downtown by Crazy Horse, written by Danny Witten. Like I said, uh, he blamed himself for Witten's overdose death after firing him from that tour. Uh, and he died, like I said, the same day he was dismissed from the group. Mm-hmm. Um, the choice to include the song to me feels like a cathartic decision for young. Do you find that processing painful experience through your art, your art, like you said, uh, helps you let go of it or is it to put a distance or is it just to put perspective on those painful experiences? I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's mathematical. You know, I don't think it's like do this and this equation results. And I don't think there's such a thing as like complete closure. I believe that's a that's something we've been a bill of, another bill of goods we've been sold as a culture. You know that not only do can we get closure, but we fucking deserve it. Like no, that, that's not the way you get closure when you close your eyes for the final time. That, I think that's yeah. Important. So um, I think everybody's doing the best they can to to come back tomorrow, you know? And I think somebody as sensitive as Neil Young, obviously, feels things deeply and things cut him. And uh, he's trying to survive, you know? And he's trying to, he's also trying, he feels like he's trying to, you know, show his love for this guy. Yeah, he's got yeah. a voice. The guy's got a beautiful voice. Um, you know, he's honoring him. He's honoring him. It's an epitaph. Uh, it's, a, it's a speech at the funeral. You know, it's whatever, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's all part of the process. I mean, I'm moving on, I guess, you know, uh, and eventually with time, things don't cut easier. Yeah. When uh, you, you said something about Neil that, that just brought up a question, like, do you like if you had to put Neil's this just his music, what thoughts and feelings come to mind when you think about Neil Young songs? Simple and unique, you know, kind of inimitable. Um, strangely inimitable because he's fairly simple. You know, his, his songs really do come from country or rhythm and blues tradition. There's no more than three, four, five chords in any of his songs. 
the melodies are beautiful, but you know, their melodies obviously have been around, especially yeah. in that one song here. Um, but there's something, something unique about his his tone, his singing tone that is strangely high and ragged, uh, sometimes flat, but always sweet. Um, he's just got, he's just a unique musician. I don't know how else to say it. It's like, yeah, you can sound like Neil Young, but it's like, you, you can't really be Neil Young. Only Neil Young is Neil Young, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, not sure why that is, you know? It's just, you he's got it, whatever that thing is. And, and I think that is on perfect display you know, I could talk about Mellow on My Mind, which I love and roll around, uh, roll another number uh, for the road, but Albuquerque. Yeah. I mean, that is like, a, and to me, uh, if this isn't in the top 10 Neil Young songs of all time, I mean, this is hauntingly gorgeous. Uh, this one stuck with me, still continues to. Like a lot of this on this record is is something that I'm like, I'm glad this has made its way into my life. But Albuquerque and Lookout Joe are the two that I'm going to take with me probably for the rest of my life. Um, Albuquerque is young, is thinking about renting a car and driving from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Santa Fe just to be alone and independent from the scene. He never tells us why he's in Albuquerque to begin with, but he does tell us he wants to roll a joint and rent a car and stop to eat some fried eggs and country ham. Yeah. Um, and he does have uh, some history with Albuquerque that predated this record. Uh, by eight years in 67, his band, the Mina Birds, which included Rick James, which is yeah. in, weren't, weren't they like roommates? Yeah, Rick I saw I saw that Rick James doc recently and I saw that it was a, it was a wild uh, factoid. Yeah, Rick it's, James started off as a rocker, kind of a you could say it, I could see it in his even in the funk, like you could see, I mean, yeah. even the way he dresses, like he's yeah. like he's he went he went like black kiss. Yeah, which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so they break up, and I mean, can you imagine just like the 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 arguments that they had as roommates? It's like, it's like Rick, can you please buy paper towels, please? <laughs> can you can you stop doing coke for a minute? I'm just, Neil Young, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm Neil Young, bitch. I mean, I was Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. <laughs> Want to go to Albuquerque? Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Um, all right, so... Broke up, he headed south from Toronto in a hearse with bass player Bruce Palmer looking for Stephen Stills with whom he wanted to start a band. He and Bruce took turns driving around the clock in a vehicle and had so much anxiety about the trip. He collapsed in Albuquerque and was bedridden for a few days in the house with uh, sympathetic college students. After making it to Los Angeles, he finally found Stills in San Francisco and Buffalo Springfield formed shortly after. Um... So Albuquerque is a song about going somewhere where no one knows you to get some time to yourself. What is your version of Albuquerque? Oh, what is my, oh, my, my Albuquerque? Uh, What's your Albuquerque? Say that again, where no one knows you. So, yeah, so it's, so uh, you're going somewhere, no one knows you to get some time to yourself. Uh, just the beach, I think. Uh, a beach anywhere. Uh, just the ocean. I don't know, I've been in no particular town. 
just the ocean. Do you feel a connection to it? Uh, you know, have you always felt a connection to it? I mean, growing up in yeah, New York, it's not really. Yeah, even though I grew up in, uh, like I said, in Manhattan, uh, but my uh, one side of my family is from Eastern Europe. The other side is from Scotland, and uh, they were all they were all fisher people. And uh, maybe maybe there's something in my DNA there. I mean, I'm not a sailor, but I'm a swimmer, and I love I love the ocean. I love the I love looking at it and hearing it. Yeah. I do miss it. It's something that, you know, it's like what's so great about living in Los Angeles is if you want to go skiing, you're four hours away. If you want to yeah, go to the beach, yeah. Yeah, you're, tw you're 20 minutes from it. I mean, depending on what time of the day, maybe <laughs> three hours, but you'll get there. Yeah. Um, I guess what would be my Albuquerque? It's, I think it's, you know what it is? You're probably on the same baseball field that you used to play in that Peter Cooper league, which is a is that the one that's across the FDR by the, yeah, by the, that's, I, that's my dog. That's my dog park. That became a dog. It's not a dog park, but nobody's well, ever like, used. What? Better clean up. Oh, I don't, dude. I just <laughs> bought, I just bought 13,000 poop bags from Amazon, bro. Come on, man. Come on, man. I got 80 pound Doberman. Trust me. I can't, her shit can't be hidden. It's, <laughs> it's fucking massive. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's just being, you know, it's like there's something about how just walking the dog and listening to music and going out to that field that is just like, you know, dealing because the same problems I have in New York, uh, you know, I had in L.A. I'm not running from anything. It's like you can't escape the entertainment industry and the things that we deal with. So just being able to have that little oasis that's, you know, a 15 minute walk from my house is extremely important. Um, well, I, that, I know I know your spot well, man. I, yeah, I dude. Spent many a. Many an hour down there, yeah. I fucking love that, dude. I love that. Yeah. God, we're blood brothers, Dave. Me and you, from this point on, blood brothers. It looks right. a lot better than it did. Oh, it's it's you know, there's it's it's the field is is not as kept as you would hope, but no one's ever using it. No one's ever using those two baseball fields, and yeah. you've got you got the weird bathrooms that like you know junkies have taken over, and you've got what bathrooms? there's two bathrooms that have been built like that are right on the opposite side of it. But it's like, it's, it's yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's disgusting. You go in there and there's people living in the stalls and you're just like, Hey, how you doing? thank God I have an 80 pound Doberman. Nobody's going to fuck with me. You know what I mean? Um, but man, I love it. All right. Let's talk about my favorite song on this record, a song that when I got into it, David, when I heard this in October from that wedding, in that span between October to December, this became my most played song on Dark Lord Spotify's. Uh, speaking, it's so funny that we're talking about Spotify and it's like yeah. you're doing Neil Young while all that shit's going down. I probably listened to Lookout Joe over 300 times. Everything about this song is incredible. Everything, the characters, the. Well, first of all, I mean, I don't know. If, I'm assuming you might have an idea of what this is about, right or wrong. I don't. Why don't you play a little of it? I mean, I don't, I'm not even that. Play, that. play the first, uh, play the first verse. Here you go. That's line. Oh, 
times, but good times. So, so I'll give you, I'll tell you what this is about. And it, once I fucking found this out, this song made perfect sense. It made me love it that much more. So look at Joe, uh, is about Vietnam veterans. The song is about warning GIs that times have changed and how America's society was degenerating in the 70s. Young describes the world the vet will likely end up in living on the street with junkies and drag queens. In essence, he's coming home from a war zone to another war zone. Everything. He's like, I love that line. Let me see if I can pull it up. Um, Where is it? Right here so he's like hip drag queen street walking uh sidewalking street wheeler coming down the avenue best line they're all your friends you're gonna love them there's a load of them waiting for you uh and the chorus you know look out joe you're coming home old times were good times he brings up these different characters and he's and he's see it's this is how poetic this is what made me realize how much i love neil young as a lyricist because he's creating this story you know immediately you know what i'm because i'm assuming this is new york uh or it could be or it could be any city chicago or something like that because where you're gonna have the the junkies and stuff you know he, he talks about millie from down in philly uh i'm assuming she might be a woman that is now maybe a prostitute she took his money and then he left town but my favorite and probably the the quintessential best i mean this is like such a positive way to look at heroin addiction so he says remember bill from up on the hill love this line right here a cadillac put a hole in his arm but old bill he's up there still and this is the line because as as a recovering addict this makes perfect sense but old bill he's up there still having a ball rolling to the bottom it's like yeah his life is falling apart but man does he feel fucking good and it's just, it's a perfect song. And I mean, you're, you're talking about this. I mean, you, you could play this to start a movie. You could, there's so much that this song, uh, the second I heard it, it was just like, this is a, a rocker that almost doesn't fit onto this record because it's a lot crunchier a la the Crazy Horse Pearl Jam stuff that we, well, we've kind of like, that I was really used to Neil Young with. But it's like I said, it's it's a perfect story. Uh, and this is like something that the song is nearly 50 years old. But this situation uh, he's describing could be describing a veteran's experience today. And just like, let me ask you this. What does that tell you about the United States? <laughs> like that this story from fucking 50 years ago is, you know, is is apt today. Well, I, I, I think any any song that lasts uh is going to be universal and it's going, sure. to, be going to be timeless. Sure. So, um, I think I think it speaks more to uh, the human condition, you know, and less to what's not changed or has changed in America. I think America's reflective of the human condition in a way, you know, and will continue to be so. And it's it's fucked up and it's gorgeous and it's all those things. So. Um, I mean, when, when, when you're describing that song to me, I don't really know that song. Um, and I didn't, I didn't cue into it the way you did. Yeah. Uh, but I hear you. And I think I keep on thinking of the needle and the damage done, you know, 
And like that is the quintessential like Neil Young anti shooting up song, what I've lost to that drug. And I think the way you're describing this and like what you're excited about in this song is not in the needle and the damage done, which is like, yeah, people do this because it feels really good up until the point that you die or your life's over, you know? So like, it's a real, it's a real fucking mature, honest look at, at drug taking. You know, it's not just what an idiot. It's like, I get it. I get it. It's, it's a box that you can get in. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you're familiar with John Prine, but this sure. this is kind of like a sister song to, um, what is it? What is the one? Uh, Sam Stone yeah. about the dad, you know, that's that's been doing heroin. And I mean, because look, it's like, you know, this is, uh, we we we've, we know addicts. We've uh, we have friends that 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 either have have done it and then and come out of it, or are still probably still doing it. And it's like they, regardless of what is falling apart, to have that to have that guy, old Bill, you know, just saying he's having a ball. It's like that is so perfect. Everything's falling apart around them. Their life, they don't give a shit be, unless they have that junk and. I mean it. It's just like this. This song is. I will take the song and probably for the rest of my life. Out of every song that we've done so far on this podcast, I would put this in my top five. Um, wow. What is what does that tell you about someone like an iconoclist like like Neil Young? What does something like this uh, say about Neil Young to you? What do you mean by that question? What do you mean? Well, just to be able to, I mean, he put, he's putting such dark, I mean, is this, is, is he just a true poet? Is it, is it just, is the storytelling, like, what is, like, what do you think? Well, he's rhyming Hill with Bill and Millie with Philly. So let's say he's not a true poet. <laughs> okay. But, but let's say, <laughs> let's say that he is honest, you know, and he's looking at that coin. He's looking at both sides of the coin and he's speaking from experience and he's not flinching. And I think that's what it says about him. You know what, David? I'm, I'm, I'm. Anytime I, I'm doing a podcast with somebody that I look up to, I'm just trying to seem smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so thank you for calling me out on that. Um, no. <laughs> um, hey, look, I, go Larry's ahead. got a rhyme. Larry's got a rhyme. Got a rhyme. <laughs> Old Millie something. from Philly. I mean, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty fucking good, dude. Really? Um, I, I look. I, I just love Philadelphia. I love yeah. the people I met from Philadelphia throughout my life. My mom is from Harrisburg. Her full name was Philadelphia. Maybe it was. <laughs> all right. Yeah. For all the fans listening, uh, this is we have this just to make sure people are listening to the Fleece Army. I want you to tweet at us, Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia <laughs> is the buzzword from today's episode. Um, for Oscar, the streets of Philadelphia. <laughs> Uh, all right, some random facts and album reviews. All right, so this album jumped up 28 spots on the 2020 re-rank to 302. That's crazy. That's crazy. That new I didn't think this was going to make it on the new list. So they released another list. This is the 2012 list we're using, David. The 2020 list was kind of right in the center of the uh, the BLM and kind of the, I wouldn't call them like the, the racial changes that need to be made in America. And so the new list, they did a much younger generation, much more diverse because this list was written by a lot of old white men. So to see this record jump up like that, that just shows you how important and how uh, meaningful this record was, not just to Neil Young, but to the artists that it influenced. And 
I think I can hear it. I think I can do. I mean, let me ask you this. Because it's like, because judging by, you know, I, I have a feeling you said you don't keep up with the newer, newer music. But like, what artists would you think that this album has influenced aside from Pearl Jam and, and like the Nirvanas? Anybody else? I would think uh, punk bands, you know, it's maybe a little late for that, 76, but I would think like sec second, you know, it's happening when punk is happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole unplugged phenomenon, you know, uh, he's plugged, but it's, it's got an unplugged feel. It's got a, a live feel. It's, it's, he's trying to, he's trying to return to some kind of, uh, you know, live feeling, you know, like a one time, you know, we go through this one time and that's a certain, that's a different feeling when you're performing. Yeah. You know, being in the studio, it's different. Yeah. Uh, in terms of other artists. Maybe Beck. I could hear some Beck's acoustic stuff in here, but I, 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 I that might be a pull. Yeah, Beck, Beck's such a magpie, you know, Beck's such a, you know, he steals jewels, not steals, but he, he takes jewels from lots of interesting nests, you know, yeah. and he brings them back to his lair and he, he turns them into his own kind of hodgepodge uh, musical museum, you know. Sure. He's cool. Uh, yeah, Beck, uh, even like I can see him influencing Dylan, you know, like as Dylan goes more electric, you know, sure. Um, I see him influenced by Dylan, of course, uh, you know, any kind of modern uh, rock and roll lyricist is, is going to, is going to have to stop in front of Dylan and pay homage, you mm -hmm. know, uh, uh, Maybe I'd say Bruce. I could hear maybe some of the, some of the, you know, there's look to be able to tell a story like this, you know, I, I think the artists, even if they're coexisting around the same time, they're all like just the way that the, the beach boys pet sounds influence the Beatles. It's like, you're, you might be currents, but you know, man, did you hear what he's doing? The story he just told and look out Joe, I, I could see like some of the stuff from the rising kind of by Bruce Springsteen coming from this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think Lou Reed uh, is a for sure. Maybe uh, you know, write about drug use. I mean, Lou Reed's like the first. I mean, obviously, you got rhythm and blues artists. You know, who are talking, talking about, about it. Yeah, yeah, but um, mass produced. You know, for like kids in suburbia listening to to heroin use. You know, this is like Lou Reed's first there. I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's nice when the culture works that way, where where everybody kind of you know infects everyone else with with the the ideas of, of whatever today is. You know? Totally. So totally. I think, yeah, I, I can hear those things, but mostly I hear kind of the the punk uh, ethos of of you know this isn't fucking rocket science. You know, mm -hmm. this is. This is Three chords and the truth, you know. This, yeah, this was this is recorded like a punk rock record. This was recorded, yeah. and even the song structures everything about it. Definitely, I love that poll. Um, let's see, uh, Adam. Are there any facts about this that we need to talk about? No, we really covered all the good stuff, all the stuff that really needed to be hit. So I think we're all right. Let's let's get David out of here. Um, is there <laughs> any questions that I want to ask out of these? Hold on. It's funny I, if you listen to if you do listen to my last album, 
the first track is a very Neil Young inspired kind of a riff. And um, at the end of it, um, there's like a long solo that ends the song. Not mine. I don't. I don't play solo. Um, but Pat McCusker in my band is a great guitar player, and we were, I was talking to him about what the feel of the solo should be, you know, and uh, I'd already said, you know, the kind of crunchy sound of the riff. Uh, I'd already referenced Neil Young, and then I said. Uh, I said, I saw Neil Young when I was in Vancouver, uh, back way back when I saw him live. And uh, he was doing like, a, I forget what song, I wanna say it was Down By The River. And it was ending with like a long, long solo. And, and Neil Young like ended up like on the ground with the guitar, like like he was wrestling with it. And, yeah. And I, I, I just had the feeling that like he wouldn't stop until he, it was like he was trying to tame it, you know, trying to make it make the sounds that he was hearing in his head that he wasn't getting yet. You know, yeah. that's why he done sort of like rephrasing the solo, we, you know, keep going back another four bars, and try to get that sound. And I said, that's what I wanted to feel like. I want to feel like you're wrestling with a guitar, trying to get sounds out of it that are not quite right. You know? Yeah. So it ended up being like a full minute, you know, the, the song ends with a, a solo that is really a cool solo, I think. And it's long. Do you, so we play, we play like new music at the end of every podcast. Can we play that song and we'll promote it and we'll tell everybody to get it? I think it would make sense because it's like, uh, you know, it is the most kind of superficially Neil Youngy kind of a song that I've done, I think. I love it. I love it. Are you guys planning on on going on tour? Or are you guys going to be like we have we have seen New York? Yeah, we're waiting on you know the the world. Oh yeah, COVID. but uh, we are playing uh, playing my first festival. I've never played a festival. Playing the uh, Innings Festival in Tampa, which is kind of loosely affiliated with spring training and Major League Baseball, which is really interesting. The Green Day is like headlining there, so I'm excited to, in mid-march to be down there i haven't played a festival yet so that's the first nice man well good luck you're gonna kill it um i have to ask you this because we were talking about some of the musicians and, and i feel like music was like really big in california occasion the yeah the the artists that you had on i mean pete wentz a fallout boy henry rollins rick springfield zach wild sebastian bach marilyn manson yeah. tommy Lee. i could go on and on do you have any like what do you have any like what's do you have any good stories from those musicians that made cameos uh let me think back. Well, also that we had Riza for a full season, and uh, Tim Tim Minchin we had for a full season. He's an Australian. Yeah. Uh, oh, I know Tim. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. yeah, very very smart, very funny. Very smart. Yeah. Um, loved Tim. Riza was was great for a full year. Uh, oh yeah. Well, this was this was funny. Uh, I was going out. We were shooting just like a, uh, a car, a scene in the car with me and Riza. And it was basically like, just leave the lot and go shoot it. Like there was no lockup. You know, if you know anything about making movies, like if it's a big movie or whatever, they lock up the street, make sure there's no looky-loos or- Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you don't have that kind of time or money and you're not, you know, basically I, I drove or was Riza driving? I don't remember, but- uh, we had two cameras on the hood looking in, so it wasn't so safe, you know, because you're kind of, 
and you can't look like you're doing this either because you don't want to be like who drives like that right yeah. so you're basically got like a couple slivers and you're out there in the middle of traffic on on hollywood boulevard and it's like okay dave and rizza come back when you've done like five takes you know and then we'll change the size and then go back out yeah so we got to obey the traffic laws right it's like for sure there's no cops on either side of us. It's just us. We're out there. Cameras rolling. Yeah, but how great would that be, David, to get pulled over to be that cop? Like, you know, you made an illegal left. Holy shit, we're fucking Wu-Tang and, 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 and X-Files. I knew y'all would hang out. Well, that's 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 the story. You almost, you almost Go, go, go. No, go. What happened? So, so we, uh, we're obeying the laws because, you know, we have to, even though, like, when we're stopped, it's not it's not really like usable because it's all supposed to be like on one drive, you know, so it all has to cut together, but whatever we, we stop at a red light, like you're supposed to. Yeah. And this guy kind of pulls up next to us and he like looks over and he goes, Riza and David Duchovny. I don't get it, but I love it. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> God, I wish I was that guy. That would be such, that's, but that's what's so great about Los Angeles is that you could, you see, Dude, I once saw Vlad A. Divac hanging out with Paula Abdul at Fred Siegel. So, I mean, people, they, they, I could see y'all being friends. That's right, so awesome. Right. Yeah. That's so awesome. All right, let's 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 get you out of here, man. I got my rapid fire questions. I asked this to all the guests. Uh, this oh. is good, David. Uh, all right. Favorite song on the record? Albuquerque. Albuquerque. I'm going to say Look Out Joe. Least favorite song on the record? Oh gosh! Name me the songs again. Tonight's the night. Go ahead, Adam. All right. So it's tonight's the night. You got speaking out. World on a string. Borrowed tune. Come on, baby. Let's go downtown. Mellow my mind. Roll another number. New mama and look out, Joe. Tired eyes. And then the remix of tonight's the night. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe the second song I didn't love. What was that? Speaking out. Speaking out. I picked Roll Another One for me. Didn't hate it, but if I have to pick one, that was one I skipped over the most. All right. Yeah. I ask I ask every question. I ask this question to every guest. What song on this record would you fuck to? <laughs> I don't think it's the right album for that, to be honest with you. Uh, there's a track. I think I'd pick one. I got one. Oh, Mel on my mind? No. Albuquerque. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, it's, I make love, bro. I make love, but Albuquerque is a love only, making. Only if you're with a woman named Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Millie, get over here, girl. Um, let me. I, this is a new one. This is one of our questions from our Patreon people. So I'm going to say, if you had to distill this album down to a single word, what would it be? Soil. What was that? Soil. Soil. Do you want to? Explain soil. No, no. Oh, you asked me for a single word. That's okay. all you got. You know what? Fuck that. I, I like that. Leave the mystery. Leave it. Leave it up. Um, and I, I guess, I guess the last question, uh, which I ask everybody, is: Do you think this deserves to be on the five hundred greatest albums list? Yeah. Well, now you're now you're asking me what I think about lists. So I'm I'm not a big list guy. Neither so am I. I think no, it doesn't deserve to be on a list because I don't think those. The, Lists are good in that they get you talking about stuff in a way, but you know, it's meaningless. Uh, it's it's a beautiful album. I'm glad that uh, I was going to do this podcast with you, and I went back and I listened to it. You know, nice. and it's uh, 
list? I don't fucking know. Like, it deserves to be on some list. <laughs> For sure. It, it's, yeah. And on that note, another so- subtweet that I want people to send out besides Philadelphia: fuck <laughs> lists. <laughs> fuck lists. Lists can suck it. Um, David, this was great. I, I, I know you have a new book uh, you want to promote. Please promote anything you want to promote, the book, everything. And we'll. we'll- yeah, I, got, I got the paperback of Truly Like Lightning just came out yesterday. And then I have a, a short novel uh, called The Reservoir coming out in, uh, in June. Um, I have the album out, Gesture Land now, and uh, a couple movies, a uh, movie coming out in April called The Bubble on Netflix, Judd Apatow, right? And uh, run out of battery, that's it. Dude, this was awesome, man. I can't thank you enough. Really nice to meet you. And and nice please, like, please let me know when you guys are coming, like, all, like to New York or even I'll be in L.A. I go to L.A. all the time. I would love to come Absolutely. and see your man. And thank you for the song. Oh, my pleasure, dude. Well, yeah, for sure. You got it, Adam? Oh, no, I meant the song you you, you, you sang me into. Oh, even better. <laughs> come on, David, let's do a podcast. Let's do a motherfucking podcast. You rule, dude. Thank you, brother. Thank you. What did I tell you? What did I tell you, man? The one and only David Duchovny. Uh, follow him on all social media at David Duchovny. Uh, check out his novella, The Reservoir, released June 7th, and it's now available for pre-order everywhere you get your books. And get his new album, Gestureland, available now. My homie of the week, shout out, goes out to Jake Oakman, at Jake Oakman on Twitter. Uh, He's been sharing and spreading the word of the 500 gospel, and we can't thank you enough. Uh, If you want to be homie of the week, you have got to share the show and uh, the special code word that we release now every episode, so I know you're listening. Big shout out to you and congratulations on being homie of the week, Jake Oakman. And now for new music, like we said, we're going to be playing something from David's new album, Gestureland. You're listening to the song Nights Are Harder These Days, and you can find links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com, and we want your music so we can play it. Send us your songs to 500podcast at gmail.com and maybe it'll make its way. It'll make its way. If you send it, we're playing it. Uh, Next week, James Brown, his 1986 record, In the Jungle Groove. Uh, Do your homework, Doogle Doogle and all that stuff. Lost a good friend the other day Like a Drank right past what he had to say Couldn't read between the lines Last night I saw me pull me close Laughed as he hugged me goodbye He said the moon's my friend Yeah, they're okay But the nights are harder These days
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Next Chapter Podcasts.